Welcome to the CHROSA podcast. In this episode, you will hear from three esteemed experts who explore the leadership mindset that is necessary for an optimal adoption of AI in the workplace. Jasmine Pillay is Microsoft's Director, HR Consulting in the Middle East and Africa region. In her role, she's responsible for an integrated portfolio focused on a consistent manager and employee experience through global scale and impact. Empowering employees and managers, building manager capability, enabling predictive solutions through data drives insights and driving HR excellence to support Microsoft's overall people priorities and business strategy. Jasmine also recently received the Employee Value Proposition Award at the 2021 CHRO Awards for her work as the HR Director for Microsoft South Africa. Claudia de Villiers who is Oracle's domain lead for HCM in Eastern Central Europe, Middle East and Africa, has 18 years of experience in the HR and project environment. This ranges from global transformation projects to ERP cloud implementations. Her experience in the digital transformation includes setting up government structures, project management, defining operating models, re-engineering processes, employee customer experience and the management of time cost and quality to accelerate the standardization and reinforcement of the transformation. Last but certainly not least is Dieter Faltzmann, who is the HR thought leader and domain expert at the Academy to Innovate HR, which he joined in September 2021. Dieter was recently named South Africa's CHRO of the Year at the 2021 CHRO Awards, where he also took home the HR and Technology Award and the Strategy and Leadership Award in the recognition of his work as the CHRO of Momentum Metropolitan. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Oracle, a multinational technology company that offers a comprehensive and fully integrated stack of cloud applications and platform services. Welcome to the CHRO South Africa podcast, where today we'll be discussing how people, leaders, can enable their organizations to better leverage artificial intelligence in the workplace. My name is Sungulan Kabinde, and I am the community manager at CHRO South Africa. Now, the number of jobs that AI and machines will displace in the future has been the subject of numerous studies, surveys, op-eds, and policy papers for almost a decade now. But recent data is increasingly pointing towards AI's potential to create more jobs than it takes. And today we're going to be discussing how organizations still need to deliberate, be deliberate rather, around how they address change management if they want their staff to embrace AI in the workplace. Brought to you in partnership with Oracle, this podcast will explore the mindset shift that is required and the measures that need to be taken in order for in order to leverage AI in the workplace. We have three esteemed experts who will speak on this topic, specifically around the organizational cultures, tools, and people strategies that are essential for optimal adoption of AI in the workplace. That is Jasmine Pillay, who is Microsoft's Director of HR Consulting for the Middle East and Africa region. We also have Claudia de Villiers, who is Oracle's domain lead for HCM in the East and Central Europe, Middle East and Africa regions. And then lastly, but not least, we have Dieter Feldsman, who is the HR thought leader and domain expert at the Academy to Innovate HR. 
Thank you to all three of you and thank you so much for joining this conversation. I will start with yourself, Claudia. You know, we, this has been a conversation for the longest time about AI and digitization. But, you know, I think COVID really forced a lot of organizations to move quickly in their journeys. What would you say is the low-hanging fruit that some organizations have taken and some of the other opportunities that are yet to be explored when it comes to AI in the workplace? Mm, that's that's a, a very broad question, um, Sangula, so I'll try to funnel it. You know, AI, the potential for the moment is still completely untapped as far as I'm concerned, particularly in the HR space, and it has been expedited by the pandemic as we see it. You know, the most obvious types of AI that people are using in the workplace is sort of auto-filling of forms, what's digital assistance. But, you know, the pandemic has made organizations take this a step further. So, for example, if we just sort of start at the beginning of the hire-to-retire value chain, you know, from a recruitment talent acquisition perspective, where there are high-volume tasks such as CV filtering, that's where that AI can really play a role in saving time, saving effort, and getting the best results. And, you know, by that, I mean, if it's best fit candidate, suitability matching, it can filter through assessments. So by the time that the HR business partner receives, let's say, three, five, 10 CVs, they haven't had to sift through 3,000 or 5,000 CVs. I'm an organization I previously worked in, the HR business partners were going through 5,000 CVs per week. Now you can imagine how time consuming that was. And if they could have been, for example, 10 or five CVs per position. I mean, that's immediately time-saving of a significant level. And then, you know, I'm sure at some stage in our lives, we've all been candidates and we all know how frustrating it is when you fill in or you attach a CV and then the next screen, it says, please fill in all your details. <laughs> you know, so in the interest of, of attracting the best candidates at the moment, because there's so much movement in the employment market, Speeders of the essence. So what we want to do is we want to get those good candidates and we want to keep them as quickly as possible. So, you know, it's almost at the point now of scanning a QR code. So, for example, Claudia, if, as a candidate, could scan a QR code. I could do the application. My CV could be uploaded or pulled through from LinkedIn. You know, it's about collaboration between these platforms. Pulled in from LinkedIn, it's automatically pushed through. Um, I mean, it can even get to mass scheduling, you know, of interviews, etc. So, um, I could potentially be scheduled for an interview that same day. And that's the kind of thing, you know, we all know what it's like to be a candidate. So to make that candidate journey a lot better and a lot quicker is definitely going to impact the quality of candidate that you're getting as well as the quality of the candidate, you know, because you really want to get the good people while they're still, you know, they're at the point of interest in that position. And, you know, there's many, I could talk hours on the subject. There are many other ways, but for me, the low-hanging fruit is definitely talent acquisition. And the second option for me of low-hanging fruit is the digital assistant, the chatbots, because, you know, many, particularly, again, if we talk about onboarding, um, for the candidate to be asking a chatbot, 24-7, they're available, they can ask questions, they can ask about salary, they can ask about, you know, even just silly questions. Do When I come to work on the first day, must I pack a lunch? Is my manager going to take me out for lunch? Is there a canteen? You know, these are questions that people feel a lot more comfortable in asking a robot rather than a person. And it also takes a significant load off the HR business partners and the recruiting manager. So, you know, those are two of the aspects that I think are 
probably the most widely implementable and the most useful, where there's high volumes, either of questions or queries, you know, chatbots, you can ask the payslip, you can ask for your leave balance, you can do everything on your mobile phone. We don't even count clicks anymore because this is conversational AI. And so really for me, the low-hanging fruit is the talent acquisition process as well as the chatbots. And both of those, you can see how they enhance the candidate experience as well as the employee experience. And probably the biggest advantage, and obviously coming from an HCM background, is the time and the sort of the ease of use that it provides to the HR community in order to allow them to do more strategic work in supporting the business. Thank you, Claudia. Aditya, I'd like to come to you. You know, what are the considerations that organizations need to make both at the micro and macro levels when it comes to incorporating AI in the workplace? Good day, everybody. And thanks, um, Sungulan. I think it's a really, to build on what Claudia has mentioned, you know, I think it's such an interesting space for us to look uh, towards from an organizational point of view. And, And maybe a few things that we do need to bear in mind. The first one is I think we can all accept that the future of work is really going to be about the augmentation between human beings and technology such as AI. So in that regard, we have to start questioning some of the mindset that have prevailed in the past around technology going to replace our jobs versus actually starting to ask the question around what will it allow me to do in my workplace? What will it allow me to do? And Claudia's already mentioned some of the good examples around you know, saving time and quality, etc. I also believe in this regard there's deal responsibility between organizations on the one end to create environments for technology to flourish, but also then for individuals to be able to adopt and reskill themselves in line with what technology is developing in order to remain relevant in the working environment. I think the second one that is really important is the consideration of ethical design around technology. And I think that HR has to play a fundamental role in that regard. Um, We've all seen the horror films, you know, the unintended consequences of smart technology design. And I think as HR, we have to play a role to really understand, but the systems that we are building and the AI that we are implementing, are we doing so in a particular way that it will serve the greater good? And are we making sure that things like bias, et cetera, does not creep into the particular process? I think everything has got a good side, a dark side and a light side. And I really think our role as HR in this regard is to make sure that technology is leveraged for good and that we really become the conscience of the organization to a large extent and ask the questions around, you know, but if we are going, going in this direction, what is it doing to the behavior and the motivation of the real human beings that will have to interact and interface uh, with this technology on a daily basis? I think also there is an example here that we do need to think about around the fact that we have to make sure that technology and especially AI also celebrates the good of us and what we are trying to do as human beings as opposed to bring out some of our previous mistakes. And I think there's been some really good examples that we've seen where we've learned of things like bias creeping into processes or, you know, there's an article that was published recently in the US around a big segment of the workforce that was being excluded through the technology that we utilized and was not being able to get gainful employment as a result of that. And I think HR definitely needs to play a role in that as well. And then lastly, I think there is a macro consideration from a perspective of just because we can does not mean that we should. And what I want to imply with that particular statement is that I think the issue does become a lot more complex if we look at particular contexts around the world. 
And I think there is an opportunity and a necessity for governments and the private sector to actually come together to think about the opportunities that AI will create in the future. I also think that there's a secondary role that needs to be in play or that needs to be played there around how are we going to prepare and educate our environments and the skills of our people in order to embrace the new. I think if this conversation does not take place, then I do think the fear around the fact that I might not be relevant in the future and my skill set might not be required is a valid one. And I think in countries with high rates of unemployment, such as South Africa, this is a very important conversation that the private and the public sector needs to have. To almost talk about the fact, how are we going to create a transition into this new world? And to be very honest, the new world is already here. And on the other side, make sure that AI and technology development is an opportunity for us in the future, as opposed to just a means that makes the gap between the haves and the have-nots even bigger than what it currently is as well. So I think really those are some of the things that I think we do need to think about at a micro and a macro level. So what does the future of work look like? I do think we've got a role to play as HR from an ethical design principle perspective um, in terms of how we apply and design technology. I also think we need to make sure that technology is leveraged for the greater good. And then lastly, that the conversations around preparing the environment with different stakeholders actually do take place. Um, and that we have a great transition and that we are, have the opportunity to leverage technology um, into the future. Thank you very much, Dieter. Jasmine, I'd like to come to you next. As I mentioned earlier, one thing that always comes up in these kinds of conversations is that people have a fear around technology and its potential to take jobs away. How can leaders shift the mindsets of the organizations to where employees start to realize that technology drives growth, and with growth, you have more opportunities within the organization. Thanks, Singula, and, and hello to my colleagues. Look, perhaps a good place to start is that technology really does enable expertise to be democratized and workers to be empowered. So think about this, right? According to the MIT Work of the Future Report, it's worth reading, by the way, which was released uh, late last year, 63% of jobs that were performed in 2018 actually did not exist in 1940, as an example. We didn't have solar engineers, we didn't have computer engineers, we didn't have pediatric oncologists, and we certainly didn't have the different types of entertainment that we have today until we had the technology that not only made that feasible, but which created the demand um, for that expertise. So, you know, the fear is largely stemming from whether the newer jobs are only available to those with specialized technology skills. And hence, you know, you see the insecurity and the worry about the revolution in AI and robotics potentially taking people's jobs. And this is just not the case. And this is something that our CEO has, has been quite vocal about. STEM certainly is going to remain important, but it is not as though we need everybody to have a master's degree in computer science to be employed, right? Because if we did, that would be a massive failure of our labor market policies. Lisa touched on it quite nicely in terms of the focus on skilling. So let's not forget that skilling is important, reskilling is important, and organizations certainly need to focus on investment in skilling and not just on hiring because that pool is going to become depleted. So the goal is actually, in fact, to go the other way, which is, you know, it asks the question, can I take the expertise and democratize it to help productivity gains of a frontline worker. And this is actually the problem that we need to solve. So from a business perspective, our collective role as business leaders really, you know, then becomes about having open and responsible dialogue around AI 
and creating awareness so that we can reduce this anxiety, especially because it is reasonable to expect that AI will have a stronger effect on jobs that will require people to do things that AI is starting to do very well already. And I think Claudia gave us some nice examples of that, you know, such as well-defined tasks. Let me give an example of what I mean in terms of AI starting to do uh, tasks quite well. We see that AI systems are getting really good at recognizing speech, and this can start to impact jobs that involve listening to and processing speech, you know, such as customer service queries or even simple food orders. AI is also contributing to changes in the way that work is done, such as gig or on-demand job options that enable companies to break work into tasks and to find people from anywhere, anywhere in the world with the expertise to do evidence of the role. And as AI systems are getting better, we expect that these advances will change the nature of jobs and work. And yes, it will eliminate some jobs, but importantly, it's going to create others. And at the same time, we absolutely believe that there are some jobs that just cannot be replaced by AI systems. And these are jobs that will require interpersonal communication and interaction, perhaps such as teaching or or therapy. We also believe that many workers are starting to see the benefits of AI at work, particularly when it comes to automating mundane tasks or amplifying people's skills. And, you know, to give you an example, if you take our transcribe in word feature, this automatically transcribes interviews and conversations, right, which saves people the time from doing it themselves. And this gives you the opportunity to focus on the person rather than taking notes. So just imagine for a minute how valuable and impactful that will be for, let's say, a reporter conducting an interview or a researcher that's facilitating a focus group session. This is one of many examples of how AI is increasingly working behind the scenes. And I think Claudia gave very nice examples in terms of the hiring space. And it allows people, you know, to do parts of their job better, to do it more quickly and critically to free up time for for higher value work. We do expect that AI advances will absolutely create new jobs that did not exist before, even jobs that we can't even imagine, you know, that could exist. For example, take before the internet was around, no one could have predicted that there would be such jobs as cyber security analysts or social media managers. And these job market shifts are similar to the changes we've seen with other major tech advances, such as, you know, when the telephone was invented or the automobile. And with these changes, we're going to expect a shift in terms of new ways of thinking about skills. And again, Dieter uh, covered that. And training to ensure that workers are prepared for the future. So, you know, leaders and organizations have key roles to play in terms of open communication, supporting investment and skilling, and not just ending there, by the way. There, There is a second bigger conversation to round up my response here. And this is about leadership being key to AI maturity. And I want to bring this just a little bit closer to to home in our region. There's a lot of hype about AI more than ever before, but for many companies across the Middle East and Africa region, this is still no more than a conversation. We've produced some research at Microsoft. It's the Artificial Intelligence Maturity in the Middle East and Africa report, and it's quite interesting because it shows that although 80% of C-suite executives across MIA are talking about AI, most companies have yet to put it into active use. And of those companies that are using AI, the majority are still in the early age pilot. So the big question is, what is holding these business leaders back? We know funding plays a role, but business competencies are coming through as the biggest challenge. This report is showing us that there's at least about eight 
business capabilities needed to advance our efforts. But not surprisingly, businesses rate data management and analytics or advanced analytics as the two most important. And surprisingly, coming in at a high spot is AI leadership, which companies rank as the third most important capability. And even more interesting is that even though companies consider themselves at least moderately competent in the two tech-driven capabilities, they rank AI leadership as one of their own lowest competencies. In fact, 64% of companies are saying they have moderate to no AI leadership competency. And, and this is critical insight, right, for organizations, especially as it becomes increasingly evident that AI has got to be driven by business objectives and not the other way around. So in essence, you know, what we are saying, what is needed is that leaders must be able to articulate a clear vision for AI within their companies. And where necessary, they must be able to challenge the relevance of AI against their strategic business imperatives. And, and lastly, in other words, business acumen is no longer alone enough for leaders in the age of AI. Thank you for joining us in part one of the CHROSA podcast. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Oracle, a multinational technology company that offers a comprehensive and fully integrated stack of cloud applications and platform services. Thank you.